the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Kerry here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. We've got Adam Duckworth back on the podcast, and we're going to talk about how to make something out of nothing. I mean, if you think of all the industries that were demolished almost during the pandemic, it was travel. And Adam was on this podcast literally, I think, the month before the world shut down, two years ago, three years ago. And he's back and we got an update and lots of principles for those of you who are still trying to recover and those of you who have got a lot of momentum. So today's episode is brought to you by Leader. You can check out leader.com for how you can better engage and grow your team. You can start today. Just mention the promo code carry for 20% off your first year. That's L-E-A-D-R.com. And by Convoy of Hope, your church and you can help provide relief supplies to victims of natural disasters and other crises by going to convoyofhope.org slash donate. So Adam and I talk about rebuilding a decimated industry, the future of travel, and the challenges of reopening Disney. So for all of you Disney fans out there, well, we go there, and Adam is chief among them. Adam Duckworth founded Travelmation in 2012 with a dream, uh, much like Walt Disney. He wanted to create the most magical place on Earth. And Travelmation is a national innovative travel agency that creates totally virtual company, unforgettable and personalized travel experiences for clients around the world. In 2022, they welcomed their thousandth travel agent. Travelmation is an authorized Disney vacation planner, an earmarked diamond producer, a you preferred agency for Universal Orlando, a preferred partner of Royal Caribbean International and a verified sandals and beaches agency. Uh, the company is part of a Travel Leaders Network's President's Circle and the Cruise Lines International Associations. All of those industries got hit really hard and I thought it'd be good to catch up with Adam and figure out what we have learned in trying to make sure that he didn't go under and that he was able to provide even more. Plus it's fascinating, you know, a lot of people would say the travel agent industry is dead. Uh, it is very much alive, but it doesn't look like it used to. So we go to all those places. For those of you who are new, welcome. We're really glad you're here. If you enjoy this program, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and review, that means an awful lot to us. Well, we all know the practices that drive employee engagement, but sometimes it's harder to implement it. And if you need a tool to help you stay consistent in implementing employee engagement, well, you've got to check out Leader. They're the first ever people development software, and they're doing some incredible things to drive healthy leadership habits from one-on-one -on -one meetings to two-way feedback to goal setting. And the best part, Leader shows you how these efforts tie directly back to employee engagement by measuring engagement within the platform. Disengagement can cost as much as 30% of an employee's annual salary, right? If people aren't engaged, guess what you're losing? And if you want to change that, check out leader.com. That's L-E-A-D-R.com for how you can better engage and grow your team today and measure the results of your efforts. Mention the promo code Carrie, my name, C-A-R-E-Y, for 20% off your first year. And then my friends over at Convoy of Hope are making a huge difference around the world. I absolutely love what they do. They are still in Ukraine, but they're also all over Europe. 
helping with the fallout of what's happening in Ukraine. They've also responded to a history of storms in the Caribbean, and they've got warehouses on several of the islands. So in hurricane season, they're there. And of course, they also do incredible things in America. When you donate to Convoy of Hope, this is what you release. Food, hygiene supplies, feminine supplies, baby supplies, medical supplies, blankets, bedding, clothing, and a whole lot more. If you want to help, and you should, visit convoyofhope.org slash donate. That's convoyofhope.org slash donate. And now my conversation with Adam Duckworth. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Gary, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be back with you after, I believe, almost three years. Uh-huh. And what a different world, right? We recorded our last episode about the explosive growth of travel. I think it came out in February of 2020. And then like, whoop, it just, it just like you got disrupted as much as anybody got disrupted. Um, I can only imagine how devastating that was. And, you know, obviously we don't live in that day, but you never know, like who would have predicted that the whole travel industry globally would have shut down. So I want you, if you could, to sort of pick up the narrative where we left off and walk us through what happened to global travel. Tell us a bit about what Travelmation does and then uh, walk us through how you even survived the last three years. Would, would be happy to. So yeah, Travelmation is a full-service travel agency. I started it in 2012, so we're actually currently in our 10th year anniversary, which mm -hmm. is exciting. So travel and animation combine are where the name came from. So travel, uh, we're a Disney affinity organization and started out by just partnering with Disney and providing experiences for families, uh, helping them plan their Disney trips. So we've expanded out full service from there. So what's so interesting, Carrie, about the question is so many people yeah. will ask me about this when they get with me in leadership circles or they'll, they'll or they remember our interview because obviously you have such a large listener base that they go, Adam, do you remember you were on Carrie's podcast of days before we shut down? <laughs> so in March of 2020, I was in Walt Disney World and the entire um, basically the entire travel industry shut down almost immediately. So our business, which was riding so high, everything that we had going on, which was so exciting, basically shut down almost overnight. And it was a complete shock to everything that we had going on. It was, uh, how are we going to make it? I, I even told our leadership team that I was going to go apply to be a waiter at PF Chang's because I didn't know what else we would, like, I didn't know what else I was going to do at that point. And so it was a real shock for us because it stopped mm -hmm. overnight and our team was blindsided, uh, even though we had a few weeks to prepare based on what we saw going on in the world. But it was really, really difficult to, to navigate through that. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. So do you, let's, let's start here because, you know, three years later, one of the stories I hear over and over again is the head game of leaders. And it is way too easy to ride the highs of success and then everything's awesome, mm -hmm. Adam. And then, you know, you, you hit a wall that was really not of your own doing and people are depressed. W what happened to you when sure. literally you're like, okay, I can wait tables at P.F. Chang's if they're open. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. so if they're open. If and they're we didn't open. know if they would be or not. So I will tell you, Personally, when we first got the news, it was a all hands on deck, let's figure out how to clean this ship, so to say, and how can we save yeah. this company? How can we put our arms together? How can we lock? What can we do to be there for each other, to be there for our clients, to help them through cancellations, to help them rebook their travel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So there was some initial anxiety and then some initial kind of, wow, we were so hot and this has taken the wind out of our sails in a way that we never saw coming. So anxiety and depression in terms of that mental emotional cycle kind of go hand in hand in in a vicious cycle, uh, so to say. And so I would say there were some very early on emotions related to that in terms of me as a leader, wondering what was next that creates anxiety, wondering how we were ever going to recover from this that also creates some type of those depressive thoughts and circles. But Carrie, I wanna tell you something that I don't think I've said publicly yet, and I'm gonna say it to you first. Uh, and, and again, I don't wanna go through this again. So let me, let me preface by saying what I'm about to say is something that I do not want to experience again. COVID was the very best thing that could have ever happened to our organization. Really? Because you had so much momentum. It was. I mean, it was kind of like th- so much you were momentum. Escape velocity. Y- correct. But what it did was it allowed us to stop. And so few organizations get the opportunity to actually stop and to slow down, to evaluate systems, to pull back, to stop doing things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, to sharpen the things that we should be doing, to really show our team, our agents, our families that entrust us with their travel, that we care about them, that we're there for them. How can we come alongside them emotionally, relationally along the way? It really helped our organization get even stronger than we were before. And I I was even happy to report to some folks who I've told this to, and I'll say it here as well, from 2019 to 2020, our revenue as a company was actually flat. We were 100% flat. We did not dip at all, which was Hmm. a shock because we had experienced so much exponential growth in 2019 that we had carried some of that into 2020, which was really cool. But once travel began to open up again, as it came back into 2021, we used those moments during the pandemic not to beat us up. And don't get me wrong, there were moments that we beat ourselves up. There were moments where we boohooed and we cried and we said, how are we ever gonna make this uh, happen again? How are we ever gonna rebuild this organization? But we finally said, we have to put our heads together, our hearts together and do this. And our company, because of COVID, because of the pandemic, is in the absolute healthiest place it's ever been. And dare I say, would not be in the place it is now, not except for the pandemic. So let's unpack that a little bit. What, um, I mean, nobody would have faulted you for going under. You are a travel agent, travel nation company. There's no travel. You're in Florida, so you opened up quickly compared to a lot of other places. But we did. Um, what did you do? Like, how did you begin to scramble and put an interim plan together during lockdown? Well, I think the first thing that we kept in front of us always is that this would end. There were a lot of, there was a lot of doom and gloom along the way that this was never going to end. Things were never going to reopen. We heard so often the world will never be the same. We just kept saying, we know at some point that we will go back to some semblance of normality. And we kept that vision alive in our hearts and putting it out there. Because listen, if we can't go back to some semblance of normality, travel as we know it was not going to exist. Crossing borders in close spaces together on vessels that fly or float or all those kinds of things. But one of the things that we did carry is we said, okay, to our team, as soon as we shut down, and we did this for two months, we did it for basically March 15th through May 15th, we held a meeting 
at 10 a.m. Eastern every single day with ev- with all of our travel agents on our team. So we used to do a once wow. a month meeting with our team. And what we said was, hey, for 15 minutes at the beginning part of the day, we are going to gather everybody and we are going to uh, talk about what we're feeling. We're going to talk about our industry. And for 15 minutes, and we did it for two months, we met every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, so that we could kind of get our hearts on the same page and figure out how we were going to move forward together. And then as things began to reopen, what we started to do was to celebrate those things where things were back. So actually Mexico mm-hmm. and the Caribbean were some of the first things to begin to reopen their doors. So we shifted our strategy, Carrie. We started to send a lot of our folks who wanted to travel to resorts in Mexico uh, for the first time they'd never been, but they just wanted to get out. So Cancun right. become became one of our top destinations overnight. And we were celebrating that. And if someone booked this or someone booked that. And so we did that. We we, we bonded together like never before. And I've, I've really never seen a group of folks who have fought for the future of their industry like I watched our folks do. It was really inspirational for me as the leader of the organization and to see their hearts just be so on fire because of it. Really powerful stuff. Now, my guess is they work on commission, right? Your agents or a big part Mm -hmm. of their compensation is commission. Um, It is commission. I guess there weren't a lot of other options at the time, jobs for them to go to, but like, why do you think all those people hung in? Because if you remember, there was a lot of attrition at the time. There was a lot of attrition at the time. And I still think we're in a day and age where there is a lot of attrition. But I think Mm -hmm. folks who have built a book of business, because these people don't just work on commission and they're selling some type of product that they may not be passionate about. A lot of our folks are not only just solely working on commission, but they're passionate about travel. They've worked for years to build a book of business. They have people who trust them. They have people who know them. They know their families. They know their files. They live each day to make these experiences on vacation for these families the best that it can be. So they said, you bet your bottom dollar we're going to fight for our book of business. We've worked on this thing. We are not letting it go. And I'm telling you, I was shocked at as soon as people could as soon as they could get out of their houses and and they could travel, not everybody, by the way, there was a lot of back and forth on trepidation in terms of should we travel, should we not travel? But there was a large portion of our client base that said, hey, we're ready to go. And our people fought for that. And I think, Carrie, they fought for it because they loved it and they loved the idea of traveling and they loved the idea of memories. They continued to fight for their books of business that way. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things. They had a lot of skin in the game, right? It took them years to build up that clientele, et cetera, et cetera. So you do a lot of work with cruises and cruises were among the hardest hit and had the worst reputation. And I've seen you because I follow you on social. You know, you're back on cruise ships, like doing the the christening. I've had COVID three times since I started cruising again. Congratulations. I'm just kidding. I have not. (laughs) I have not. I still haven't caught it. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. Mm-mm. No, have not. So lots of exposure, just never got it yet. I don't know. Yeah, cruises are really interesting, Carrie, because they were the hardest hit industry in the entire pandemic. Because totally. a, a, to a lot of folks, cruises are petri dishes for virus because you have a large number of people in a small, compact space and they are engaging, they are touching things. They are using handrails. They are in eateries together. Cruises were the hardest hit industry. In fact, excuse me, cruise ships were out of the water for 16 months. 
Imagine an industry being shut down for 16 months of, of revenue. But man, I don't know if there's so if the margins are so massive in the cruising industry or what it is, but they came back with a vengeance and, you know, they came back and, you know, cruising is a whole thing anyway. I know a lot of people who love cruising and a lot of people who don't really love cruising. I happen to be a lover of cruises. It's one of my preferred vacations. I love the energy. I love the people. I love the water. I love the activities. I love the buffet even like I love all those kinds of things and but but that creates a set of you know issues so when cruise lines came back there were vaccine mandates a there were mask mandates b there were testing requirements c so it became a real bear to actually even do it versus uh you know what it was like pre-pandemic but they did come back and oh boy did they come back hotter than ever I've never seen anything like the resurgence of the cruise industry Really? And what are the stories you're hearing from people who are going back? Like, you know, it's funny because you're, 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 and the reason I wanted to have this conversation is, you know, I don't know that COVID is going to happen again, but I imagine at some point in our lives, there will be unforeseen circumstances that shut us down. So I know you don't run a cruise line, but you're intimately connected with the executives, with the whole industry. What did they do right? And what did they do wrong in the cruise industry? I think what they did right from a, from a couple of different perspectives is they actually let all of this kind of play out in front of them and didn't rush back to anything. Because one of the things that you may or may not know is that the CDC and the cruise industry really did work together uh, to, to get back in the water. Now, some people thought it was too slow. Some people thought it was too fast, regardless of anybody's opinions. Where I respected the cruising industry is that they didn't actually go ahead of the government, and they probably could have, by the way. They could have just said, forget this, we're doing this. They played by the rules, which actually is benefiting them uh, along the way. Plus, the cruise line's this is why I love talking about travel advisors because in one of the core things of Travelmation, Carrie, is that we are one of those organizations resurging the travel advisor in our country and in our world because to the to the average individual, we get this question once a week or once a day. I'm sure aren't travel agents dead? Didn't they die at some point? Where did you? Didn't you? Why are you guys coming back? I thought you, you all I thought your industry was years over. Old? <laughs> yeah. Right. Gladys's yeah. travel over in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Like, you know, that just shut down, but it, you guys are back. And what I love about having these stories specifically related to your question about the cruising industry at the, the time of the pandemic is the cruise lines took care of the travel advisor. They did everything they could to help protect commission that was on the books for canceled sailings, which was massive for the travel advisor. That was huge in our industry. They did that right. They attempted to take care of the clients whose trips were interrupted or they had to rebook them with their future cruise credits. Their, their policies were really good. Basically, to bottom line your question, Carrie, about what they did right is they got real flexible really quick. And they did everything they could to help keep their businesses above water. And I think the lesson is good for any of us because what you said is true. We may not have COVID again, but something else is coming. Something else is going to, is around the corner. I had the conversation with our leadership team in January of 2020. I'll never forget it. I said, because we were riding high. And I said, boys and girls, don't get too excited. We are one 9-11 away from our travel industry being disrupted again. And I, I said it in January, and sure enough, I did not expect Walt Disney World to be closed, closed for four months and cruise lines to be out of the water for 16 months and Disneyland to be closed for 14 months. 
But I think that the cruise lines got flexible, and that's one of the main things that I think they got right. What did they get wrong? I think that there was probably in the beginning a lot of energy about when they would get back in the water. So there was some excitement and some predictions that folks were making that it would happen within two weeks or a month. And so there was some false hope there. And I'm not saying they did that. We were kind of all excited about that. And okay, we'll get back. That didn't happen for 16 months. I don't know. I can't really also pinpoint a lot of the things that the cruise lines got wrong. I think that they got a lot right in their downtime um, versus them getting a lot wrong. I guess if if we could continue to dialogue about it, I could probably make a list of things they got wrong, but nothing is pinging my brain in terms of this was a blatant mess up or mistake. You mentioned Disney, another key partner for you. You're probably one of, if not the top referrer of vacations to Disney in America. Yeah. What congratulations by the way. Thank you. Um, what were some of the dynamics with Disney? Because it's a family resort, it's a trusted brand. I mean, they've had a couple of really rough years too if you look at their stock price, you know, Bob Iger's back, everything like that. So what were some of the oh, dynamics man. of dealing with Disney in the middle of a pandemic? Disney has been my favorite place to go for uh, 25, 35 years since I was a kid. I love Disney. I love Walt Disney World. As you've said, Disney has had a rough go of it for a couple of years. In fact, uh, the new CEO is the old CEO. As you mentioned, yeah. Mr. Chapek has been shown the door and Mr. Iger is back. We can talk about that if you want to. I can give sure. you an opinion yeah. on that. But Disney had a, a massive challenge on their hands, Carrie, with reopening these massive theme parks. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think that you understand what goes into their operational perspective, we're just selling their product, by the way. We sell their product to the public, and we are one of the top purveyors of Disney vacations in the United States. We're probably in the top four accounts now in the U.S. We're on our way to number one. The next time we chat, we will be number one. You can take it to the bank. That's just the energy that I live by, right? Mm-hmm. But In the middle of the pandemic, Walt Disney World and Disneyland and all of Disney's products had to go through a reopening process. So can you imagine reopening something that hundreds of thousands of people visit every day where you've laid off cast members and you have to build from scratch? And by the way, this is another thing that we talk about a lot around here is because I'm sitting in Disneyland right now. I just came from a meeting where we had this conversation about why it's been so hard to keep cast. It's been hard to keep cast because a lot of people in the United States stayed home for a long period of time. So they were used to being at home. Somebody told us a story just at a meeting I came from that there was a ride operator at Walt Disney World that asked his boss if he could begin working from home and have a mobile ride system so he could hit the button from his couch for like the ride on Peter Pan's flight Ah. to go. (laughs) And it's just, that was the world we got used to. So the challenges that they experienced were massive. But Carrie, I have to tell you, let's let's talk about the park specifically. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about, and I know you're in Canada and I'm in Florida, so you could not talk about two more differing environments from the pandemic, right? Nope. In terms of what what you guys went through and what yes. I went through. Because the 18 I month lockdown, the 18 minute lockdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I Carrie, I was in the pedicure chair on May 1st of 2020. Like I was because I knew it reopened and I was sitting back there and I got a pedicure because I was like, my toes are disgusting and bad. I got to go back. But the theme parks, the number one thing that they struggled with was the rate that things came back. Things are still reopening at Walt Disney World. Fantasmic, which is their show at Disney's Hollywood Studios, just reopened two weeks ago. It was shut down for almost three years. 
So that has just come back. So their offerings are now starting to come back. But the number one thing that I saw was the the fighting about the masks. And I'm not going into mm. uh, opinions on the masks or whether you were pro-mask and anti-mask. That's, that's in the past. But I remember sitting there as a guest and watching the interactions take place and just going, this is bad. This is really oh, you mean sad. Because cast, cast members, members being beat up by people for having to wear masks. Yeah. Yes, and them having to correct individuals whose mask was, you know, below their nose, and then expletives start flying, and the cast members have to get into it, and people are getting in physical fist fights over this stuff. And I mean, it was representative of the times. Listen, the pandemic also shined a negative light on a lot of human emotions. We understand this, and this was yeah. <laughs> humanity, yeah. and this was, um, you know, Disney was not exempt from that. So that was one thing that we dealt with. But from the sales standpoint, Carrie. We said to Disney early on that we were going to save our industry and we were going to lock arms and do anything we could to save our industry. So I said, if you give it to us to sell, we're going to sell it and we're going to kill it. And so every time they would bring something back, we would shatter the numbers and we would consistently promote it and go with it. Now, you do have to keep in mind something about us. So people would ask, how did you do that when so much of the country was still locked down? A lot of our client base is what I would call south of the Ohio Valley. It is, mm-hmm. It's Kentucky, it's Tennessee, it's Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. Though we were a traveling group of folks even during the pandemic, and that was just one of those things that call it luck, call it fate, call it whatever it is. We got some good mojo in terms of our people were ready to go. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to give the folks at Disney credit, Carrie. They took care of us along the way. They've been nothing but a joy throughout the entire process. And it's been a difficult process because I cannot imagine what it's like to reopen all of your brands that have been shut down for so long in a global pandemic. Um, so I got to give Disney a lot of credit for what they did during the shutdowns. You hadn't thought about the Great Resignation in the context of running a theme park, but you're right. When everybody was laid off or sent home, I mean, you still see it to a certain extent in airports with not enough security, TSA people, not quite enough gate agents, or in restaurants. We don't, we're not back at our, because nobody wants to work in a restaurant anymore. But like, right. you're right. Disney is a complicated operation. Give us an insight into some of the training levels that a Disney employee would have to go through to be qualified to be on. You know, like, it's not well, like, oh I, yeah, come for orientation Friday and start Saturday. It doesn't work like that, right? So I am not a Disney cast member and I'm not a Disney cast member on uh, purpose because they're, the training with Disney is intense. I mean, they go through a lot of training protocols and especially related to the pandemic, there was a lot of those things. That's why I started a company that could get as close to Disney as we could, but still weren't under all of their protocols and all of their rules. But Carrie, I'll give you an example. So we knew a friend of ours who was a VIP tour guide who was laid off during the pandemic. She was laid off for about four months and then offered a position back and she was rehired. Had to go through the complete process again in terms of the training, in terms of all of the things that they have to go through, which if you think of a massive organization like Disney is intense. So I assume, I don't know this number, but I assume because of what what I'm hearing that 20% of their people even don't complete training because they don't want to go through it because they were used to kind of sitting at home for so long. And because that is true, 
One of the biggest struggles, and I've talked with executives about this and we've had this dialogue, is one of the biggest struggles that Disney has had since they've reopened is maintaining the levels of cast that they need to to operate their parks. It is their number one challenge, no doubt. Because Carrie, you have to remember, man. So have you been to Epcot recently? Uh, No, but we're going in January. Going in January. Perfect. I mm-hmm. Call me. I'll give you all the tips. You know, you're one of my brothers oh, yeah, in life. I'll tell totally, you everything that totally. you need to yeah, do. I got you all Disney, squared away. Uh, first week of January. Yeah, I'll text you. Awesome. Oh, perfect. Yeah, text me. It's great. How, okay, so, but in Epcot, one of the things that you may not know is that all of the cast members in World Showcase, which is in the back of Epcot, it's where the countries are, pre-pandemic, were all authentically native to their homelands. So, in Norway... All of the cast members were from Norway. In Germany, no they way. were from Germany. And so it is almost three years into the pandemic. And just two months ago, these cast members started to come back. So for a while, you would go back to Epcot and you would meet folks from Orlando who were cast members and they were working in Italy and Epcot, and they weren't authentically Italian people. So imagine the thousands of cast members that Disney brought in from foreign countries that they couldn't bring in because that program had been suspended. And now those people are finally back. I don't think we realized, and again, this is not a debate because I could do that on another podcast if you want to, but I don't know that we realized when we shut the world down how long it would actually take to reopen the world back up to the way that it used to be. I just no. don't, I don't know that we ever thought about that. I, I, you know, I don't think that's that controversial. I, I agree. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Every church leader listening right now, Adam, and you've got a foot in both worlds, church world and travel nation. Um, but that's the volunteer story, right? Like churches it have is. been open for two years almost or whatever. And they're like, we still don't barely have enough volunteers to be operational and viable on a Sunday morning. And right. yeah, you're right. It's You're not alone with Disney. Hey, without like, you know, we're not slinging mud here or anything, but any thoughts on yeah. the leadership challenges that Disney is facing right now or Bob Iger stepping back in? So yeah, I, I do have some thoughts that I can, yeah, I was actually you interviewed did, by so Travel. I had to go back there. Yeah. I, 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 I was actually interviewed by Travel Weekly about this. So I am always a guy in my life who wants to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Totally. I know that Bob Chapek was extremely unpopular with the Disney fan base from the moment he took over. Call it whatever happened when he was the parks chairman to the point that he became the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. There was a lot of negative opinions about him that existed in the space of the mm-hmm. fandom, the corporate space, all those kinds of things. That 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 kind of trickled over, Carrie, uh, to the point where I don't think the board of directors could take it anymore because they had so much bad press, their stock price was going down. And what do you do, what do you do when you need to go back to basics and you need to have a little bit of recovery, you always generally try to go back to something you know, something you love. Mm-hmm. So it was not a surprise to me at all. It was a surprise to me that they got rid of Chapek because they had just renewed his contract for three years, just a couple of months ago. So I was, a t- I mean, I wasn't surprised from the fan perspective, but I was surprised from the leadership perspective. But when they said he was gone and Iger was coming back, I was not surprised at all that it was Bob Iger coming back to help rebuild the company because companies, when they struggle, they go back to something they know. So I think Iger has a tall order on his hands because he's not going to be here forever. He's got two years to groom the next CEO and they're going to kind of go off into the stratosphere. You know what I wish 
Disney would do, Carrie. I wish that? that Disney would go back to storytelling. I heard Bob Iger Ooh. say this. He said it recently. He goes, we got to go back to storytelling. We've, we, we're a company that has forgotten why we're here. And we're, 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 we're fighting with people. We're getting in fights. We're getting in culture wars. And, and, and I'm not saying any of that is right, wrong, or indifferent of where people's opinions land. That's not what I'm here to do. I, I, I take a neutral road on so many of these kind of things that we do because I just want to hear people out and give people grace and all those kinds of things. But I think Bob Iger, I heard him say something really wise. He goes, we got to get back to telling stories. We got to get back to helping people uh, live their dreams and helping people, uh, you know, figure out how they can put one foot in front of the other and and get lost in this imagine imaginative thing called Disney again. And do I think Iger's going to do it? Yes, I do. Do I think terminating Chapek was the right move? Yes, I do. And do I think Disney has a very bright future? I do. Hmm. Now, you know, you talked about disrupting the travel agency because last time you were on the travel industry, I should say. You know, we talked about how Travelmation is a different model than your traditional travel agent, how you're totally prepped for remote digital age, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have this huge disruption. So you were like the Airbnb or the Uber of the travel industry coming along with a whole new approach, whole new model that was gaining traction. But then the industry itself blew up. In what ways has the travel agency or travel industry, I should say, in what ways has it been further disrupted as a result of the last three years? Or is it just like, okay, we had a really big pause and we're back. Like, is there further disruption I, I because think, of this? I think that there was a really big pause and we're back. That mm-hmm. That is true for some organizations. But Carrie, COVID really almost took out the last remaining stragglers of the old world in terms of the way travel was ran. Most people who I've known who've been pushed out of the industry were brick and mortar people, people who were doing things an old way, people who had an employee-based model or a staff-based model and their revenue wasn't keeping up with it and it really kind of pushed them out of the industry. Dare I say our organization was ready for COVID before COVID because we were already work from home. We were already remote-based. We were already completely autonomous. So we were actually ahead of the trend. Here's, Here's a note for you. When we started 2020, you ready for this? We had about 400 agents that were on our uh, kind of roster to be a travel agent. Today, we are almost at 1,200 agents. We have almost tripled the size of our organization since the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. And that is it. And, and it also teaches me, do you want to know what I said? I was sitting, of course, this is when I was locked in my house in March, April of 2020. I was watching the Today Show with Caitlin on the couch. Of course, we had a newborn, Carrie. So Libby <laughs> was just a newborn. And my goodness, that, those were not some of my finest moments, by the way, being a parent in the, begin, in, in the house during lockdown. But I was watching the Today Show early on and there was a segment. I don't even remember who was on the segment or who was doing the segment. And they said how this was the moment where people needed to diversify their income stream. And I was like, this is going to be good for us. It all Because we're we oftentimes in the industry start as someone's second stream of income or an additional stream of income in the home as it's built into a full stream of income. That's what people generally do because this is an eat what you kill industry. It's a commission-based industry. People try it and they go, I wonder if this could work for me. I wonder if this could be, and and so I said, this is going to really be something that is good for us. So COVID took out the stragglers, took them out. And the people who still wanted to be independent travel agents afterward started to come to work for us, which was really fun. Oh, that's cool. 
So, you know, I know we covered this before, but I want to revisit it. And maybe there's a fresh take on it, too, given where we are now. Um, yeah. Why do people still use travel agents? Why, like, you have a growing industry in a declining industry. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so in an era where I can do it all myself, why am I hiring you? So, Carrie, why are you also, when you buy a house, going to a real estate agent? Why are you, when you're looking for an insurance policy, going to someone who knows what they're talking about? So, especially because we are one of those agencies that doesn't mark up the price of a vacation. We just simply don't. There are agencies that do it. So, our services is our services are comped by the suppliers who we work with. They pay us on the back end. And so, really, this is a no-brainer. We are, I believe, we are really entering the new age of the consumer who want a service. We are entering back into it, the age of the consumer who want things to be handled for them. Especially, this is what I love about our company so much, especially with Disney. We are now a full service travel agency, but in my opinion, there is no more difficult destination to travel to than Walt Disney World. It's the, it's the best and the most difficult mm -hmm. because for a family from the Midwest, if you're going to go spend six to $10,000 on a trip and you're going to take your kids and you're going to do it once in two years, man, you want to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. So people come to us, they start with Disney with us, then they start booking other things with us. And I think your question is such a good one because so many of us in life would never do these things in terms of making big financial decisions without the advice of someone. Yeah. Why would you do it with travel? It's the same kind of thing. We're just filling a void for an industry that people thought was dead because, you don't, I want to get off on a soapbox real quick, because what people saw in the early 2000s was the introduction of the OTAs, Expedia, Orbit, Orbitz, Travelocity. They're called the online travel agencies. Right. They thought they could do it by themselves. And for some little one-off Holiday Inn Expresses in you know Mobile, Alabama, you might be able to book a Holiday Inn Express by yourself if you want to and probably yeah. have a fine experience. But anything more detailed than that, you need someone who knows what they're doing. That's where we come in. Well, and okay, so I've been on this little kick lately, and uh, sure. maybe regular listeners will be tired of hearing this, but curation. You know, when I when I look at it, because when you know, I was intrigued by your first answer, but I've also talked to a number of people, and it's funny. Travelmation started when twenty twelve, twenty twelve. Yeah, so you're right. If you look at the evolution of an industry. You know, in the 90s, I mean, I remember booking my honeymoon in the 90s and it was like you had to use a travel agency. Ordinary mere mortals didn't have access to right. like booking. You had to call somebody or go visit someone because to book your own plane tickets was almost impossible. And then like who knew Europe, man? We had paper maps, right? So uh, they had all the information. We didn't. Internet comes along, you know, 96, I get my first email account. By 2000, the web is a thing where people are on. And then in the early 2000s, as you say, Expedia, et cetera, et cetera, TripAdvisor come along. And all of a sudden it's like all the information is in the hands of the consumer, which feels like power. But then what happens is you get overwhelmed. Now there's a million OTAs. Now there's Correct. so much information. Now when you try to book a hotel, you got five different prices on five different sites. And some are in U.S. dollars, some are in euros, some are in whatever. And it's like, I don't even know anymore. And that, like, if you think about... And you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know whether you're getting the best price. 
And sometimes you go to those, I've done this in the past, you know, you book through a third party, uh, this really nice hotel for cheap, and they kind of know where you got it from and they don't treat you very well, right? So it's like, ah, I I give up. But I think now we're drowning in content. Like in my world, there's so much content out there. When I started writing in 2012, and we talked to James Clear on this podcast in January, when he started writing in 2012, it was a really interesting time because- you were still a pioneer. You sort of got out there. But now people are drowning in content and they need someone to come along and say, let me help you cut through it. Do you see what you do as a form of curation? Like a I form totally of, see what we do. Yeah. Yes, we totally. And, and you using the form, using the word curation in terms of someone's experience, because one of the things that we say to people all the time in the Disney space is you can read on every blog you want to. You can have any type of content that you want to consume. You can read any video. Our job is to actually help plan this trip based on the wants and the needs of your specific family. And that's what we do because they can read all kinds of content that's out there. This restaurant stinks. The Disney Genie Plus, this restaurant's, or the Disney Genie Plus stinks. This restaurant's amazing. This hotel was dirty. Like we can cut through all that and go, okay, let us tell you what we know. But this is also why, Carrie, hands-on experiences are so important to even in 2022 we take our team to Walt Disney World once a year they're always down there exploring the product they're exploring the properties they're going to the restaurants they're really getting that hands-on experience to turn that into a a workable business and a workable industry so that they can help guide others yeah and that's kind of i think what we want and the reason i'm 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 beating this drum right now is i think this mm-hmm. is a cue to leaders in any industry including leaders in the Correct. church like there is a growing market for for curation a concierge right so think about a nice hotel mm-hmm. what's a concierge right. supposed to do there's a hundred restaurants i could go to tonight someone who is supposed to make all the plans for you right done for you travel done for you which is which is great so when you're advising when you're advising entrepreneurs and leaders like where else do you see opportunities for curation um, out there and if you could let's say you were going to tackle a second industry uh, say okay we have travel mation that does oh travel I'm not saying you're going to but the entrepreneurial streak is like here's another one I see ripe for disruption do you see any old models that could be blown up through curation I re- yeah, it's the volunteer space. Oh. I think that we are so weak in church volunteering, specifically in volunteering across nonprofits. I've written a number of books on volunteering, as you know. Yeah, you have. And totally. I have, yeah, I've done a, a little disruption in that space for curation along the But you're saying, gosh, Carrie, I wish we could sit in a room together and get a board out and just map this out right now because it could be so cool in terms of ideas, but what you're describing with curation applies to someone in the way that they serve and the way that they volunteer and the way that they give back based on their history and the organizations that they're involved in and their experiences in life. And we don't do any of that. Hmm. In the volunteer space, we just go, we have a hole, let me put you in here. And it's so unstrategic and it's so unvaluable that they don't stick. They don't see the the value in it. Therefore, they disconnect and everybody loses because there's no curation. Hmm. So how would you do that? How would you change that? If you're, because you have literally oh written books on volunteerism and have had lots of experience at large churches, church plants, your partner, Sue Miller, I mean, at Willow Creek for many years. 
did massive volunteer recruitment. So what are we getting wrong about that? Because this is a real big pain point for a ton of leaders listening to this. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is a real big pain point. And maybe who knows what the next project I take on in my life will be. I don't know specifically with a practical how I would fix it tomorrow. I'd probably have to spend a number of hours in a room in front of a board to start putting some pen to paper and some ideas. But what I would say initially is, is I would encourage churches in specifically to prioritize volunteering from a staff standpoint and a resource standpoint, because many of them don't. First and foremost, it's an afterthought. And it's so interesting that it's an afterthought because it is the one thing that is that fuels the body of the church. It, it means everything, and we don't give it a lot of emphasis at all. The second thing that I would also say is we have to come up with some type of system and some type of thought process and some type of engagement procedure where we're not just putting them into our holes. We're not putting them as pegs into the holes on our board. We have to figure out what we can do to develop positions surrounding them and their leadership ability and how we plug people in and how they engage in a different way because um, I don't think we're doing that well in any way. I think volunteering could use curation, to quote you, in a big way inside the local church and, and nonprofits. I see it with any kind of nonprofit that I've ever volunteered for as well. Carrie, it's terrible. Like, I would, I, I don't understand why people would even come to serve. It's, it's awful, whether it's the Red Cross or like my kids' school, like nobody knows anything. It's brutal. Anyway, that's a different soapbox where a different, maybe next that time we talk, I could talk about volunteering because it's, it's a big deal out there. Well, for what it's worth, I think one pivot every church leader, and I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, you know, I'm not leading a church right now. But looking back on my leadership, I would accentuate even more. Make sure volunteering isn't about what the volunteer can do for us, the church. Make sure that volunteering becomes about what the church can do for you in releasing your spiritual gifts and finding the right fit for you in supporting you to release your ministry. You make that pivot, great things are happening. All right, well, let's talk about the future of travel. How is travel itself changing, Adam? Travel itself is changing, I think, in a big way. It's it's become um, more focused on family than it's ever been, shockingly. You would you would think that, you know, there's all these type of experiences with all these random things happening, but Royal Caribbean's newest ship that is the largest ship in the world that comes out in January of 2024, the Icon of the Seas, which if you've not seen renderings or images of this, it is massively impressive. Mm. They have coined this the ultimate family vacation the best family vacation that you could ever have. They're actually, it's interesting, they're actually taking on Disney for the title, which I'm watching this war play out in front of, front of me. And it's an exciting time because we're affiliated with both organizations. So I think you're seeing families engage with these suppliers and these big box uh, vacation providers in different ways. The, the future of travel is interesting, Carrie. So you ask one of those questions, it's almost an intangible and X factor. You can't, you can't answer what is the future? I could talk to you about what the future of travel means from a sales perspective. Yeah, I could talk sure, to you about there. from a destination perspective. Yeah, we could talk about that. Um, but but I want to say something as well. I think the thing that's so interesting about travel is that there's always a desire to travel for people. There's this natural, uh, there's this natural innate thing in all of us to explore. There's this natural innate thing in all of us to get out there. That is something that we have started saying around the travel mission parts that we want to get out there. And I think that you are 
watching that unfold. A pandemic couldn't keep travelers down. They wanted to get out. The first thing that people said that they wanted to do when they got out of their house was travel. They go, I want to travel. Mm-hmm. Book me a vacation mm-hmm. wherever I want to go. I'm going to spend triple the money on it because I've been, I've been, you know, cooped up in my home. And we're like, we'll gladly book that for you and make it the best experience ever. So from the sales perspective, though, I do believe that you're going to see and you are seeing a massive resurgence of the travel advisor in the industry. It's coming back like I've never seen it. I just read an article. I think it was in Forbes or Inc. or one of the things that out of the pandemic in 2022, the top 10 industries that are growing in the United States, number two was travel-based franchises. Number two. So we are coming out of the woodwork like you've never seen before. And I think a lot of people, travel agents are gonna be a household name again. And and we might be on the forefront of of putting them back in people's houses consistently. Hmm. What about uh, when you think about the future of travel, environmentalism, sustainability, et cetera, what are some changes that we can expect, if any, in that field? Yeah, I think that in the environment, first of all, as a Christian, I just want to say my opinion on the environment. I just believe that if we don't steward what God has entrusted us with, and this being the earth, that that we're not doing our job to take care of what he's entrusted us with. And so the environment and the earth is something that I think we should always exist to try to do our best to take care of. Many of those things are above my purview. I'm just booking Disney trips over here. So with that said, (laughs) I don't really know all that. But I do know that a lot of travel organizations in the, and I, I don't mean us in terms of the, the sales, the, the front sales based people. I mean, the, the, the folks who are cruise ships and the folks that are resorts and the folks that are theme parks. I know that in the last 10 years, and I think it's going to be the next 10 years and the next 10 years after that, that you're doing everything they can to take care of the environment and become more sustainable. So you've seen plastic be eliminated from a lot of parks and a lot of cruise ships. You've seen green energy end up on different massive cruise ships that they have. I mean, certain things like certain cruise lines like Norwegian have eliminated plastic water bottles and they're, you're drinking water out of a paper carton. The water tastes like milk, I think, but I'm taking it anyway because it's helping the environment. I can't really, it's a mental thing, right? And I think a lot of people are doing things related to the environment in the travel space that are making it better and cleaner. That makes sense. I also like when we do things with the environment that makes sense, Carrie. Like if, if plastic straws don't work for us anymore, I'm okay with that. No problem. Let's replace them with something that makes sense. Because the paper ones didn't make any sense. (laughs) They would disintegrate in my drink. So now we're starting to see different ideas that are replacing the plastic, which I I think all that is good. So I think you're really going to see the travel industry, I believe, be on the forefront of a lot of those changes. Because Mm. what other industry are you putting 8,000 people on a cruise ship and they're burning through stuff day in and day out? It's not not a lot of other industries. So no. we've had to get innovative and creative there. And I think our industry is doing it. I think you're going to see a lot more in the future as well. What have been your biggest learnings as a CEO over the last number of years? Like lessons that you're noting down that you never want to forget. It's all about relationship. It always has been and it always will be. One of my amazing and best friends in my life was we actually filmed an interview with me on my 40th birthday in Walt Disney World this year about the company and about kind of my family. And she asked me that same question. If she said, if there's one leadership thing that you could give people advice on, what would it be? And I'm going to tell you this 
right here as well. And it's four words. It's pick up the phone. We have forgotten how to pick up the phone. And so often when someone communicates digitally with a text or an email, things are misunderstood or misread or there's a swag in it or a tone with it. And I think a lot can be solved when we sit down and have conversations with each other. So I think relationship matters. It always has and it always will be. That's one of the things that I've learned. I've also learned this, Carrie. Most people in life, this is why I think the free, autonomous lifestyle is so popular and hot right now. Mm -hmm. Most people in life don't really want to be told what to do. (laughs) They don't want to be told how to work, when to work, what you would do. And like we have brand standards, right? Our travel agents have to abide by our systems and follow our branding guidelines, but how much travel they want to sell and when they want to do it and how they want to do it from where they want to do it. That's up to them. We have no say over that. We have no opinion on how that is done. And I think that it has been impressed upon me that you cannot put a price tag on autonomy. Mm. It's uh, it, You cannot put a price tag on how much that means to your life and your family and how much that means for the future of work and work. Like I started to think about this during the pandemic. I was like, who invented the work system right now? Like with employees and offices and nine to five and Monday through Friday and holidays, who invented this? Because I, I, I mean, I started to research it and I was like, because something new is coming. And I believe the pandemic forced that upon people, but something new is coming and I want to be a part of that. And I've just learned that that new thing that is old, but it's new again, is freedom. And people will never be able to put a price tag on it. You know, I think you hit a, a vein there, like a deep vein in, in a good way that, that really resonates. Mm-hmm. So 1,200 agents, do you care yeah. or how do you care? Let's say you've got somebody who wants the equivalent of, you know, I don't know, what's, a, what's, a, what's your top producer? How many vacations do they move a year? Like your top 10%. We have people moving thousands of vacations a year with over multi-million dollars on their book of business every year. We have probably six or seven people that are in that level of doing 1.5 to $3.5 million a year in book travel. So those are your top performers. Let's say there's somebody who's like, I I only want to move $50,000 a year in travel, uh-huh. book a couple of trips, you know, for mm-hmm. a few families, let's say that's ten five thousand $5,000 trips. Does that bother you as yeah. a CEO? Or are you like, no, that's cool. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Adhere to these standards. Like, do you try to incentivize people to get to a middle or a quota? Because I think you're right. Autonomy has really shown up in a big way. And I'm curious about incentivizing work because the old model is always more, more, bigger, bigger, better, better. Yeah, it's a great question. We always want our people to do more, Mm. always, which is why we base what we do on motivation and inspiration and not any type of a forced relationship. We can motivate and inspire all day and we say to people, if this is not the industry for you or we're not the company for you, we're okay with that. But we've found through our motivation and inspiration that folks who are selling, let's say $50,000 a year, always want to strive to do better because they see what it's done for other people's lives. Not in every circumstance, but a lot of circumstances. But the bottom line is to your question, if somebody said, I'm only gonna book 10 trips a year and they're $5,000 each and that's all I wanna do because I make 
an extra five grand, five to six grand, and I take my family to Walt Disney World and I pay for our trip once a year, I, I will tell you that's okay with us. Mm. Now, we always we want them to get better and to do more, and we would encourage them to. And most people come to us and say, how do I do this more? You know, I start out, started out wanting to only book a little bit, but I want to do more. How do I? But again, one of the beautiful things about our industry, and not our industry, our company specifically, is we almost put it back on them. And we go, Carrie, that's interesting. You know, we're here to support you and your dreams and what you want. So if you want to stay there, you can stay there. If you want to go to a next level, we can help you go to a next level too. Which one do you want? That's the autonomy and the freedom and the purpose that all goes into that, that helps us have a a really interesting environment and relationship with our agents who are truly independent contractors in the industry because they can chart their own destiny and we're not telling them what they need to do or here's your sales quota. We want them to win along the way how they want to win. You know, I think employers, uh, employers, I should say, and even people who lead volunteer organizations have a lot to learn from that because sometimes we're like, here's yeah. the slot, you fill it, right? I got a 40-hour slot, you fill Correct. it. But if you can get rock stars... We're like, actually, I want to do less, but I want to give it all when I'm there. That's probably probably some clues to the future. Carrie, we had one of our top, top producers say call, called me a couple of months ago and said, Hey, I think that I'm gonna I'm gonna tap the brakes for two weeks. I feel like I'm just uh, approaching a, a point where I need a break. I'm not burnt out, but I need a break and I'd like to spend some time with my family. Now, a normal CEO would say to their one of their top people, don't tap the brakes, keep pushing. What's the matter with you? Keep mm -hmm. pushing. I said, great, you should. You should tap the brakes. If that's what you want to do for your book of business right here, right now, so that you can take a breather, tap the brakes. Now, our people are so driven that a couple days into the break, people normally call me and they go, man, I'm really bummed. I'm not really booking stuff today. I should probably go back at it. And I said, well, you wanted a break and you took one. <laughs> so, you know, it, it it's all about that. But uh, yeah, Carrie... I think volunteer organizations and, and, and employers could, could learn a lot from that. I really do because I've learned a lot from it when I was in an employer-employee relationship and I've learned a lot of what not to do. Hmm. What are some of the things not to do? I just don't think people want to be controlled. I don't think people want to be told when to show up. I don't think people want to be told where to sit. I don't think people want to be told what laptop to use. I don't think people want to be told, hey, you're on vacation again? Do you have any idea how much that burns people to where people go, I don't want to work for you anymore if you keep making those insulting comments in my direction based on how hard I work for your organization? And, and we never say that to people. We, we say, great, enjoy, have fun, because that's just part of our life. And I think, Carrie, that's been, you, your question was a blunt one. What have you learned as a CEO? Freedom is everything in 2022. It's everything. Hmm. It's so important. Anything else you want to share? Man, I, I think that the folks who listen to this podcast are leaders and they're people who are inspired by stuff. I would just say this. I never started out in the travel industry trying to build something big. I never did. I was just helping people plan their Disney trips on the side. I loved Disney and that's what I was trying to do. And sure enough, the snowball started to roll down the hill and we ended up on a formula that worked. And I would just say to people, you never know what idea is going to work. So try it. You never know what's going to stick and what's going to catch on. So try it because you're, you're going to see that some things actually will stick. And when you find that you have an idea that sticks, get the right people around you and don't let them go. And I think that's so important for how you can begin to build something that could change the world, which Carrie, I will tell you, 
with the most humble spirit, I say this. I'm so amazed at how Travelmation has changed lives every single day. Mm. I've never expected to see it as I've gotten out of local church work from a full-time perspective. I've never ever thought that I would be a part of an organization that would change lives in a different way like Travelmation does. I, I, every day I get a front row seat to it and I'm humbled and blessed every single day. It's a good place to be. Well, Adam, where can people find you and Travelmation online these days? You can find us at travelmation.net. There's a whole bunch of information there. You can find my information there as well. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Adam underscore Duckworth. Carrie, I stopped tweeting after the 2020 election. I deleted my Twitter <laughs> for mental health purposes. Uh-huh. So I'm not on Twitter anymore, but uh, you can find me in any one of those places or you can email our website and our team will yield the request. And if you want to connect personally, I would always love to do that because I love talking to people specifically about leadership stuff. Adam, so appreciate you and our friendship. Thanks so much for uh, everything today. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I always love it. I love Adam's story because it shows that you can actually fight gravity and actually uh, turn a declining industry into something that's really growing and vibrant. And I really think there's something to curation. By the way, I'm starting a brand new newsletter early in January. If you want to subscribe, go to ontherisenewsletter.com. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the podcast. But yeah, it's curation. And I think it's a huge trend over the last few years, but especially for 2023. Hey, we want to thank our partners for this episode. You can check out leader.com for how you can better engage and grow your team today. Go to leadr.com. Put in the promo code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, you'll get 20% off your first year. And Convoy of Hope is doing incredible things around the world. To help them help others, go to convoyofhope.org slash donate. So I'm going to tell you who we got coming up. We also have show notes for this, by the way. You can go to kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 541. We've got James Clear coming up to kick off 2023. Chris Anderson from TED, Annie F. Downs, Tim Keller, Andy, and Sandra Stanley. Who else have we got? We've got uh, Caitlin Beatty, John Mark Comer, Gretchen Rubin, Erwin McManus, Andy Wood, and a whole lot more. Next episode, we're doing a bit of an experiment, something completely different. It can be hard to listen to the millions of podcasts that are out there. So we've collected a few in the Art of Leadership podcast network. And I'm going to bring you a sampler episode from some of the shows in that network. Here is an excerpt. I've talked about this before, but I... It just bears repeating because every time I say it, it reminds me in times of uncertainty, people want certainty and we cannot provide certainty. The next best thing to certainty is clarity. So we can't provide certainty and the pastors who misuse their scripture and misuse their position to promise certainty, they're lying. You cannot provide certainty. You can only provide clarity and the political leaders. I mean, that's how you get elected. You, you promise certainty. If you elect me, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's not going to happen. Nope. You, you, you can't, you can't provide certainty. So the best thing, the next best thing, the thing that actually feels like certainty is clarity. So I say to leaders constantly, look, be honest with your folks, whether it's in business or at church, wherever it is, be absolutely honest. Hey, I don't have an answer to that. We're going to figure it out. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we're going to figure it out. In the meantime, here's what we are going to do. Here's what we know. Here's what we're going to do. That's coming up next time. I would love your feedback on that format. If you enjoy it, we'll do it from time to time because, man, there's some incredible shows in the Art of Leadership Network. 
And in January, I'm starting a free newsletter you can check out. It's called On the Rise, and it's basically some really interesting bits that I found on the internet. In-depth articles, videos, movies I'm watching, things that I think will help you do better research on the internet and things that have caught my eye and the eye of my team. And if you want to subscribe, it's free. And you can simply go to ontherisenewsletter.com. Also, I've got something. If you want to make next year a uh, year where your influence online increases, make sure you check out influencekickstarter.com. That's a free mastermind that I am sharing with you. As a listener of this podcast, just go to influencekickstarter.com. You can get it all for free. And basically, I show you how I built this platform from a hobby to what it is today. We're so fortunate to have millions of people listening to this podcast, uh, tuning in to what I do over at kerryneuhoff.com. And if you want to know how uh, those principles can translate to your life, go to influencekickstarter.com. Back next time with a fresh episode, the last one of 2022 and off to a great start in 2023. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing. 